This is Dare I Say, the podcast from Harper's Bazaar, where we sit in on unfiltered conversations between the most influential women of our time, women daring to make the difference we deserve. I'm your host, Olivia Wilde. In this episode, we sit down with Laverne Cox and Rosario Dawson to talk about inclusivity, intersectionality, and how we can bring different generations together to stand up for women's rights. Rosario and Laverne are two of the most politically active actors in Hollywood. Rosario founded the nonprofit Voto Latino to help young Hispanic and Latino voters become more politically active. She's also a board member for Eve Ensler's V-Day Project. It's an activist group that campaigns to stop violence against women and girls worldwide. She's performed Ensler's famous play, The Vagina Monologues, on multiple occasions. Laverne was the first openly trans woman of color to have a recurring role on primetime television. She has used her fame to be a fierce advocate for inclusive trans and LGBTQIA rights. In this episode, the two activists muse on what inclusivity and intersectionality means for social movements today. How can the LGBTQIA community support each other? What can individuals and communities do to safeguard their rights under a federal administration set on curtailing them? Why is it important to celebrate our own vulnerability? How can we bring different generations and political movements together? Rosario and Laverne are vigilant. While there has been progress, there's still a ways to go. They refuse to be desensitized or sit back and do nothing. They are women who dare. When I think about the inclusion of trans women in feminist movements, which has been a really tricky, Mm -hmm. um, contested space, uh, probably since the 70s, right, when... um, some trans exclusionary radical feminists were like, you know, trans women are not really women and, and, and uh, sort of those assertions that we don't belong in this movement. And then the LGBT movement was saying the same thing about trans women. Mm-hmm. And what feels different to me about this moment is now that there's more acknowledgement that we are in this together, that being an intersectional feminist means that we have to embrace women of all kinds, of all races, nationalities, abilities, gender identities, and that feels super exciting. When the vagina monologues first came out, you couldn't even say the word vagina mm-hmm. on CNN anywhere. You couldn't say it anywhere to even promote it. So it's like such a crazy moment to see how much we've gone but at the same time, like 20 years later, we're celebrating a 20-year anniversary with Predator-in-Chief in office. Yeah. And you're, you know, it's, it's so important to acknowledge all the different parts of the way. Like, I really love Gloria Steinem recently saying, and people are like, pass the torch on. She's like, I'm not passing the torch. I'm still holding it. You know, mm-hmm. I'm going to continue lighting, but I'll light yours. And that's what we need to do. We can't, this idea that you do certain something for a certain moment and then it's passed on and someone else takes it is the reason why I think these cycles keep perpetuating mm-hmm. because we're not really recognizing the whole journey and experience of it. And it's hard because it's like you have to kind of kind of keep coming. That's why I always say I'm a big fan of preaching to the choir. Sometimes you have to come right back in and you have to be reinvigorated and reconnected to that work and figure out exactly what your place is now because it was different then. Amen. Activism in 2019 should aim to improve the future while acknowledging the struggles of the past, according to Rosario and Laverne. 
With civil rights era legislation under attack and anti-trans legislation multiplying, Americans can't afford to be complacent. Our very beings are being threatened, and so then we must act and we must not sleep. We have to vote and we have to stay stay active. For 50 years after the Voting Rights Act, right? For 50 years there were people pushing back and saying that with this Voting Rights Act we should not have this. Mm -hmm. And finally a few years ago the Supreme Court gutted the pre-clearance section of the Voting Rights Act. Mm -hmm. 50 years. And folks think, oh everything's okay, mm -hmm. everything's alright. They have not stopped working. Roe v. Wade. Mm -hmm. 40 plus year, 45 plus years yeah. and it's still it's being threatened right now they have not yeah. stopped working so the backlash is real so we have to stay stay vigilant and we have to stay stay woke and continue to resist and to fight and to be engaged in the world around us and not take advantage of uh, or not take for granted the work that came before us that's going okay now we're so comfortable being able to say LGBTQIA movement wonderful that doesn't mean that that coalition is evenly represented mm -hmm. that the disparities between them doesn't exist you know and so I think there's this sort of idea sometimes we get so comfortable with the vernacular mm -hmm. and we think we're in a post-racial post-sexism post, -racial, post, -sexism, post mm -hmm. and it's like no not far far cry from it and that's what's so gorgeous looking at younger people like I was at this amazing glad event and the kids were pronouncing themselves LGBTQ yeah like they're not saying I'm lesbian I'm gay they're like they're really embodying the community yes. and recognizing the intersectionality and to take on it's not for someone else to have to always defend themselves mm -hmm. we have to be able to be there and stand up for each other what does it mean to really be inclusive and what does gender equality look like mm -hmm. now and how does that how does that really include people who are gender non-binary and trans folks and i think so often that there's this biological determinism that is being, and by biological sort of essentialism that is sort of being perpetuated as a way to sort of form solidarity. Mm -hmm. And that necessarily leaves out trans and non-binary people. So we also have to be in a space of dismantling the gender binary model. And that, that we have to think beyond man and woman and making these generalizations about what men do and these generalizations about what women do, mm -hmm. because so many people exist in the spaces in between and beyond. Mm -hmm. And that, that is the space, I think, of true liberation. When we can move beyond all of those gender expectations and just be. To dismantle the gender binary means that we have to think radically differently mm -hmm. about one of the most fundamental things that we've been taught. You know, the first question folks ask when someone's having a, a baby is, is it a boy or girl? I always ask, boy, girl, or trans? To, dis <laughs> to, to challenge that binary notion. And when we can begin to, like, on fundamental levels, challenge everything we thought we knew about something to come to new spaces of critical consciousness, maybe we can um, see each other differently mm -hmm. and love each other better and be in that space of abundance. What does it look like to really include everyone? And that's hard work. It is hard work, and it's uncomfortable work. And that's mm -hmm. why it's like, you know, and I look at this moment, especially when you see like Trace the set going and really pushing back on Scarlett Johansson's choice, which she ended up backpedaling and, and pulling out of doing a film where she was going to play a trans man. But I, I thought that was just so important because it, it can get so murky and we're still so left over from this past sort of generation's idea of like deference. And it's like, well, we're in Time's Up right now, and we're women's solidarity, so we have to be supportive of each other here, so we're not allowed to call that out over there. And I watched that for most of my life. and in conversation with my elders, but this generation's not even remotely interested. And I think that's really powerful, specifically because they're not preaching tolerance, they're preaching acceptance. Yeah. And so the idea that 
you know, that that's still something that's far off that we can't fight for. It's like, yeah, that makes sense maybe 20 years ago, but now it's just lazy. And I'm even allies can be held to account. And I'm, I'm finding a lot of comfort in that because there's so much for me, I see the changes and I get so, I want to celebrate, like, this is so great. And I'm almost kind of conditioned to be like, and I'm used to these things not being all right. But I love, like the very next day after the Oscars, the very next day, it doesn't matter that you had a trans person speaking. It doesn't matter that a, that a Mexican one doesn't matter any of these different things. Cause it's like, but he doesn't really represent us. And that only covered that one thing and, that, and it's not enough. And I'm like, thank you. Because a few years ago, we would have totally just patted ourselves in the back yeah. about that. And it's a lot more than just the visual now. It's truly what the representation actually means, getting into those details. Cause that's why affirmative action is under attack. That's why people are hashtagging things but not showing up to vote because yeah. there's a lot of energy that's going on but unless it concretes into real action yeah. we're not going to see the benefit for our future generation and what i think about a lot is my i had a wonderful conversation with my friend matt mcgory um a few, he's so amazing he's a few best. days ago and i love his the conversation we had about and how he talks about critiquing his own privileges as this gender straight white man mm -hmm. and how it's so important for him to listen to people who are more marginalized than him and to constantly in the space of activism check his privilege and that he seems to beautifully understand that if a if woman has has a space to have a voice and to speak up or if a trans person or if a person who is undocumented or a person who does is, is disabled has a voice that is not taking away from his voice Women and LGBT candidates made history in October's midterms, and contenders for the Democratic presidential bid include four women, one gay man, and three people of color. Despite positive steps, voting systems are under threat. Five years ago, the Supreme Court killed the part of the Voting Rights Act that barred states with a history of discrimination against minority voters from passing new voting laws without federal consent. In the years since, measures that reduce voting among minorities have abounded. I mean, my ancestors, our ancestors fought for that right. And it's been, it's in peril right now. It's been in peril for a very long time. Yeah. And there's all these systems in place. When we look at gerrymandering, when we look at um, voter suppression, the electoral college, as redistricting, as well as, you know, foreign and Russian interference, our votes are in jeopardy. And it's really, folks gotta vote. And we have to vote out people who are trying to make it harder for us to vote. There are politicians who are unapologetically trying to strip people of all of their rights to vote. And when, and, when, and when a Republican got voted out, he, didn't, he, was, the, he was like, we're not going to hold a special election. Mm -hmm. We're just going to hold up the election when constitutionally you're supposed to have an election to have someone in office. Yeah. He said, we're not going to do it. And so that kind of blatant corruption yeah. is rampant right now. They don't give an F about how blatant it is because I think there's a certain... Part of it, I think, is a certain level of desperation because there are more of us who are not white and cisgender and heterosexual who are coming forward and having a voice. Those folks are feeling threatened and those systems are feeling threatened. I mean, there's, there's, there really is, you know, I keep saying with this generation of like yelping, we just want to like yelp the government. We want to be able to completely just shut it down it needs a reboot it needs it, there's just some stuff and yeah. that's where you get because that is so real that's what ends up getting manipulated in the press because and you hire a, a reality tv star 
to fire people because you know something's wrong and that there's mm -hmm. corruption. And so that's what I find really interesting when I talk to mm -hmm. folks who are actually not as alarmed as mm -hmm. I am about what's going on in this in this because there there's something they they're liking that the messiness might mean something good because it's different and we've been doing the same thing for so long mm -hmm. and even under a black president we still needed to create Black Lives Matter so maybe maybe what this person's doing forty five is doing can actually be helpful and it's like no. You, there's a major desensitization that's going on that we are becoming adjusted to injustice and we should become maladjusted to injustice and 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 it is it is completely normalized we're desensitized and then the misinformation that is happening too there's a whole segment of the population that is just getting so you know one in 45 just lies just blatantly lies mm -hmm. there's video proof that he's a lie yep. and folks are just getting their news from one source the way in which even on on our computers all everything's aggregated so that we can basically live in a world of confirmation bias mm -hmm. we can live in a world where all the views that we still hold right now can be reconfirmed and since people so don't travel and they don't cut step outside of their silos there's nothing ever to kind of intercede and go just maybe look at it from this other perspective and what's interesting to me too is that this administration has, has proposed combining the Department of Labor and Education right mm -hmm. and so then it's like why do why do they want to defund public schools school so badly if folks are not educated they can be better controlled mm -hmm. I, I, I don't like to be a conspiracy theorist but why do you I mean do you think the Department of Education I mean what but what are we doing conspiracy theory, theory you know what I mean because when you look back like I love like the people speak and so many different things that resurrect and bring up different points in history from different legislative moments people speaking out in court and just kind of, there's so many of the, that resonate still today, of mm -hmm. so many of the same issues. So at what point were we ever truly in a space where it changed? I think legislatively some things change, some mm -hmm. things culturally, when you really look at the time frame that we've existed in, capitalism's had a really long run. Yeah. So what it's doing right now and, and patriarchy, all these different things is doing right now is really embedded. Women's movement is how many decades? You know what I mean? It's like in comparison, you can see why it, it feels like there's there's not much to go on because we're still in that same conversation and narrative that we're reaching for it. You know, young kids who are leaving Auschwitz to come to, the, to, to this country. Mm. You know, we had Japanese internment camps mm -hmm. not too long Speak ago. On it. So like when we have these moments where we kind of go, oh shit, yeah, we have to buckle down. I'm like, but if you're paying attention, you realize that was true yesterday as well. Yeah. It was before, but there's it was not an historical perspective. So we, yeah. we must have an historical perspective and so that we're not repeating the same historical mistakes. What's interesting to me when the Supreme Court said the preclearance section of the Voting Rights Act is no longer useful, so let's get rid of it. The next day, states were enacting new voter ID laws, mm -hmm. passing, uh, Texas passed a law that the Supreme Court at the time said was unconstitutional, now it's a different yeah. Supreme Court. Um, but so clearly these were conversations that were going on for quite some time yeah. and then it just kind of seems like it hits us and gut punches us but like we were too busy arguing about some weird silly law over here while 10 of them and we're being colossally distracted section. and we're being colossally distracted too by the spectacle and the entertainment of it all. Mm -hmm. 45 if nothing he is entertaining mm -hmm. and so while that's happening and then there's a lot of things to be outraged about and to resist against but in the face of this trans people transgender people uh, my 
community. They have rolled back um, the Obama-era protections for trans students in schools. All the cases that um, were trans um, kids were saying we're going to fight back against our um, Department of Education and our uh, schools because mm-hmm. we've been discriminated against. None of those cases are going to be heard now by the um, Department of Education or by the Justice Department. And we're being killed um, in more numbers than ever before. Trans people are under attack right now. And there's so much else going on that a lot of folks aren't paying attention. So there's so much progress, but there's so much kind of pulling us back. And that's what I'm just so curious about, like what really needs to shift to make the difference? For me, I find because we're so siloed from each other and we're going and our technology is only bringing us more in that direction. The only thing I can truly think of that we've also been really taken away from is our intergenerational conversation, which Mm -hmm. I think goes into intersectionality because a big part of it that we forget, I think, is age. Oftentimes it feels like that there's a big gap that's there of, of people from talking to each other from different generations and having just that perspective. But Rosario, I think we don't is know so how to talk to each other. And we don't. We don't, we don't know, know how, how to talk, talk to, each to each other. We don't know how to talk to our family. Yeah. How can we tap into that with each other? Yeah. Where we can we can see that life behind each other's eyes and feel, mm-hmm. okay, this is an opportunity to get to know you yeah. and to think and be outside of my own sphere of influence and maybe allow myself to be changed. Because it it is a change to see each other and pay witness to each other. Reproductive rights are in peril. Roe v. Wade is under threat. President Trump's administration has blocked funding to all overseas organizations involved in abortion. People need to come together and understand each other. Reproductive justice goes beyond the right to have bodily autonomy and not have a child. It also includes the right to have and parent children in safe and sustainable communities. That's according to Sister Song, the activist group who has championed reproductive justice since the 90s. But it's not always comfortable. The folks I know who've had abortions, it was not an easy decision for them. It was, but it's not for me to tell her mm-hmm. that you should or shouldn't. And I and that is such a difficult conversation to have with folks who are just anti this and this should never happen. Yes, life is a beautiful thing. But what, I feel like it's not ever a conversation about the woman who has to carry the child. There's not a conversation about the child once the child gets here. The and edu- lack of education, the lack of systems care, like the health care, all these different kinds. So you want the kid to come. But when they come, but their we, quality of life is not something that you care so about it just, at all. I, so how do, but how do we have those conversations? Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure. I'm really not. And I want to f- find a way to be able to have a conversation with someone who is pro-life and, and do it in a loving way and not mm-hmm. demonize them. Because when I have had those conversations, these are not bad people. No. They're not bad people. They're folks who believe something differently from me. But I want to be able to come to a space where, where we can coexist, but then also so that people can have rights over their own bodies. I mean, it's like, as a trans woman, it's the most sacred thing for me to be able to do exactly what I need to do with my body because this is my body. And everybody should be able to have that right. Absolutely. Dr. Brene Brown from the University of Houston has inspired millions through her lectures and books on the power of vulnerability to bring people closer. How can we channel and use our vulnerability to empower ourselves, enhance our relationships, and improve our society? Why is it important to look inwards at our capacity for self-care and accountability to those closest to us? 
I've been such a huge fan of yours for quite some time. Just your spirit and your energy. Mm. And you're just you're just such a force of nature, just like so in your body. There's so few people that you meet in life that have that at all times. I've struggled. So. I've struggled to be in this body and to own this body and to claim this body and to mold this body mm -hmm. into how I see myself on the inside. So that that that's a wonderful compliment. Thank you. Nice. You're excited. You're you're engaged. You're you're happy to be alive. That aliveness is so important because so many of us are just either living in our heads or completely disembodied from ourselves. We don't connect. There's no real intimacy. We don't have intimacy with ourselves. Like it's shocking. But that to is me. the job of the artist, and yes. that's what I feel so. I'm emboldened by and so excited about by the work that I get to do because as an artist and, and, and artist activist and hopefully the activism is through the work of being an artist, we get to feel everything so that we can give other people spaces to feel and to be vulnerable and to cry and to laugh and to dance. And I think that kind of vulnerability, that kind of intimacy with oneself and with each other are the things that can um, perhaps bring us closer to each other. If we can find ways to send out love to each other and have and figure out what love for ourselves means. What patriarchy is about is not seeming gay, not seeming vulnerable or weak. Mm -hmm. And so how do we celebrate that in our in our cis men? Celebrate vulnerability and and these spaces of being because what I love about my well, I love many things about my boyfriend, but what I love about him is that he's able to embrace his his femininity, his masculinity, and he can have all of it. And none of it makes him less or more of anything, it just makes him more human. And it's just it starts at the very beginning of our lives, is sort of this idea yeah. about how we should feel about ourselves, how important we are, how capable we're going to be and that's just drilled into us it's such a young age it's yeah. so unhealthy and you know that's another thing like you get into this conversation and you're just like where are all the men I'm like well actually there's been a lot like you know like let's start creating from that abundance there's been a lot of men's groups who have been waiting for this moment there's mm -hmm. a lot of dads who want to raise their kids there's a lot mm -hmm. that's there that goes into this idea of like men you know black men don't raise their kids they were all put in jail that's why. Like, how about you really look at what was happening circumstantially in these communities and how targeted generationally and how generationally impacted these targeted communities have been? I was talking to a straight black man, I won't say his name, and people, some people know him, and he said, I learned patriarchy from my mother. Yeah. My mother taught me patriarchy. Mm -hmm. And you, to, you get to have to be a real man and you have to like, so what does it mean for the women of the world, women of all kinds of the world, to not raise their children in patriarchal ways and not insist on that yeah. in the men that they date and that they have sex with and that they allow themselves to be pursued by the men that they pursue. Mm -hmm. What? How do we start making different choices as women? And for me, my dating life changed when I started making different choices about the men that I was going, that I was, that I was, I, there were certain things that just became unacceptable. Mm -hmm. I was like, if you're gonna behave this way then I, I'm gonna unmatch with you I'm gonna make different choices and so then how do we as women of all kinds who are in various kinds of relationships yeah. with men begin to make different choices about the kinds but that's of men making different lives. choices about yourself and how yes. what you have for your what your expectations are for yourself Amen. and your commitments and agreements are for and yourself. What's sexy. that's the hard, that's the hard part for a lot of people is that 
that they don't even know. They don't know who they are. They don't know who themselves are. And so they go for this archetype that they've been drilled, that's been drilled into their head yeah. about what, what it's supposed to look like and remain miserable and unhappy and in really unhealthy yeah. relationships. But I think for a long time, because of various things, I thought being, living in New York and dating, like, I don't want to like stereotype everybody who works on Wall Street, but like dating these guys who are just douchebags, you know, and thinking that like that, that's the option to have to sort of make that work and make this douchebag, you know, into like someone it's who's not potential. that. And the, the potential thing, I'm like, you can't date somebody on no, their potential. You, potential. you have to date the actual person. Mm-hmm. Oh, he, there's so much, he could do, no. Mm-hmm. No. And I had to learn that the hard way. You had to kiss no. a lot of frogs. And so, but the point is, how do we in our lives begin to make different choices and set boundaries and just not, I'm so about not even inviting that kind of energy in my life, not just in terms of who I date, but just my friends yeah. and professionally. I want to attract energy in my life that is loving, that is that is abundant, that is um, caring and nurturing. And I want, and so I send that out. Oprah says, reminds us all the time of everything you put out in the world is already coming back to you mm-hmm. so so the law of attraction and so then how do we collectively right if we think about that in our personal life how do we collectively begin to attract love and empathy like how do we get information out it's not information isn't equal you know, yeah. people don't have access to it and opportunity or, and they're working multiple jobs or health. People are one sickness, one paycheck away from being homeless. Yeah. There's so many different, everybody's running on like and survival you, mode. And when you you're know? in survival mode, when I've been the times in my life when I've been in survival mode, it was really, really hard for me to think about what's going on in the world yeah. and this injustice when I'm in rent arrears and I have an eviction mm-hmm. notice and I don't, I'm not sure exactly where my next meal is coming from. And there are a lot of Americans Americans who are dealing with that right deeply now. Deeply in that. Deeply in that. The organizing on this other side is very and has has just been across history has been just really consistent. Yep. And that's not, you know, some my friend that, Brandon was telling me about like how did fascism go? The A, it no one believed it was happening. The bourgeois, the elite, the bourgeoisie uh, didn't want to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I think people were just uh, lack of education, like just lack of any of the information and resources. No one could all agree on the same facts. But it was like we're we're in that moment right we're now. In no that one's right believing now. anything. Everyone's yeah. feeling really uncomfortable, and there's sort of this idea of like, well, let's just see how it pans out. It can't be so bad. You can't imagine it can get worse. Yeah, yeah, it very it, much can. It it, it has. It, yeah. it it we're there. Mm-hmm. I mean, when when children are being stripped from their parents, there's something deeply morally bankrupt about that. This episode was produced by Steph at Edit Audio. To find out more about our conversation, check out our show notes at harpersbazaar.com forward slash dare I say podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. Stay tuned for our next episode, where we sit down with curvy models Candace Huffine and Precious Lee to talk about what it means to be outspoken outliers in an industry notorious for its lack of diversity.